at the Center for Education Research and Innovation, we're in the habit of asking questions that matter and looking for answers that impact. But how do you do that? How does a researcher get to that point? What we do know is that researchers are united in their curiosity. What we don't know is the stories behind the curiosity. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Curiosity Habit. Today uh, with me is Dr. Pim Tunisen from his, the Scientific Director of the School of Health Professions Education at Maastricht University. And welcome Pim, it's a great pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you, it's a, a joy to be able to speak to you today. Thank you. I would like to start with something that uh, when I emailed you last week about how should I introduce you, and you said that you can say that I'm a chronically curious gynecologist and researcher. And I picked on the word chronically because chronically is a very important word in medicine. I was curious about that word. Like, why is it that you label yourself as chronically curious? Um. Yeah, I'm, I must admit, I haven't given it a lot of thought, but that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw your email and your question. Um, and it, of course, it's also a bit of a play on the curiosity habit as the title for your podcast, which I think is a, a brilliant find. Um, I really resonate with uh, the curiosity part. And um, yeah, that that is something that is... Uh, very important in the things that I've been doing and the things that I'm doing still. And a thing that drives me, I'm always curious to understand things, to find out more, to know why something is the way that it is. And that is in a way, uh, I think a great blessing having that type of curiosity. Um, it also means that uh, as part of that, it's difficult to be satisfied with anything really. Uh, because there's always so much more to be curious about. So sometimes it feels a bit like a condition. Um, and I think that's also, of course, with my clinical background, uh, if I need to explain it now, will probably fed into me coming up with this chronically curious uh, description. Right. Uh, so on that note, um, you are a gynecologist too, but you landed in medical education research as opposed to clinical research. What's the story behind? Like there was a situation that triggered that interest in you or that curiosity in you. Can you share with us? Yeah, of course. Um, and it, then I have to go back to uh, medical school and the fact that I, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go into medical school. Uh, oh. uh, I thought of myself more as somebody who would go for uh, technical studies. Um, but yeah, there are some uh, curious ways that uh, uh, lead into being allowed to go into medical school in the Netherlands. So if uh, you don't go into a university, then you can, or when I was at that phase, you could enter a sort of a lottery system uh, that was based actually on a lottery in combination with your high school grade. And that would determine whether or not uh, you could study medicine because the number of places were limited. Mm. Um, so actually, I thought, well, I'm going to take a gap year and I'm going to orient myself towards like aviation technology or something else uh, with a hardcore science. But, well, who knows? Medicine might be fun as well. So I'll enter the lottery system 
And what ended up happening is that I got a place to actually start studying medicine. So I did that, but I started with sort of the hesitation, is this actually what I want? And I did enjoy the first year and I continued the second year and so on. Um, but from the beginning, I also always had this uh, sense that I wanted to be orienting myself a bit more broadly. And the, the idea that medicine was great and that I learned a lot about a lot of things. Um, but I was also interested in still some of the more technical stuff. But during my medical uh, uh, school time, also in um, education and law and yeah, more other social sciences that I felt was sort of lacking from what I was learning in medicine. Mm. Um, and I studied at Leiden University in the Netherlands, and we then had the opportunity to also follow other uh, courses. So I, I did a course on law and on um, business and uh, something related to education. So by the time that I uh, became a clinical medical student, I realized that there was yeah, a lot to gain from not only being more biomedically oriented in your interests. Um, and I became involved in um, trying to improve the educational system and circumstances for the clinical medical students at our university. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time that I finished medical school, I realized that I, I was interested in research um, but that I would like to find a way to uh, explore the social sciences a bit more and see where that would take me. Um, and then through a lot of fortunate uh, coincidences, I um, found a place where I could start with a PhD in medical education on, on workplace learning in postgraduate training. Uh, and I did that immediately after medical school, which sparked my uh, further interests in education and educational research uh, and also in research in general. So when I finished that, only then I entered uh, residency training myself, but immediately with the intention to keep combining my research interests in medical or health professions, education and my clinical work. Uh, so I developed both of them together but actually the the broader interest that eventually led to my interest in, in medical education um, was there earlier than my interest in uh, in obstetrics and gynecology. Well, that's very interesting. So two follow-up questions on that. One is that I didn't know that you had taken that alternative route of going to more social sciences um, topics. And I was wondering how did... Um, studying a little bit of law and business and education influence also your choice of doing qualitative work? Because I listened to a couple of interviews from you and, and you were very clear in saying that medicine is more than just understanding the body and the biomedical aspect. And that was what drove you to start, use qualitative methodologies, I believe. So how, how did those subjects influence in your thinking? Yeah. Um... And it's a great question and it's at the same time also quite difficult to sort of trace back how that, that, that led to what I'm currently doing and my current interest. I think in, in general, um, 
it is the realization that having multiple perspectives around the topic is very uh, valuable and that um, the more biomedical perspective is one perspective which has a lot of components and facets and you can think of diseases in many different ways at a cellular level and at a uh, organ level and at many uh, uh, from many different angles but it still falls within that biomedical perspective um, and certainly in patient care i find it quite uh, fulfilling even to have a more psychological perspective a more social perspective uh, and trying to combine those things enriches my um, yeah, my own experience of being a healthcare um, professional, but I, I think it also helps me in helping my patients. And the same is true for research where uh, yeah, I think it's just very valuable to take different research approaches to study a particular problem. Um, and that is also why I, I became enthusiastic about qualitative research because that wasn't what I was originally trained in so it was something that i could add to my arsenal of research approaches and i'm still exploring uh, in a variety of different themes and new research approaches and that is one of the yeah the wonderful things of being in this in this field of research that it is possible to use all of those approaches and to to learn in this melting pot of different scientific perspectives and the things that we try to understand about how people learn and develop as healthcare professionals. Right. And my second curiosity about what you also described to us is like different from most people, at least in North America, my understanding, you do your med school, you do your specialty training, and then when you decide to do a PhD, then you use your clinical um, specialty or interest to guide whatever you want to study in your PhD, but you did it the other way around. So how did the PhD experience influence your choice for obstetrics and gynecology and influence also your practice in there? Yes. Um, uh, I, I must say that in the Netherlands, doing the PhD before you enter either specialty training or general practice training is not uncommon. And it has to do with a the bottleneck in our medical trajectory is getting into residency programs. Um, and I've had the, uh, the, the, the fortunate opportunity to uh, spend a couple of uh, months in Vancouver, Canada, where I saw that the bottleneck there is quite different. It is more an issue of finding a position once you have specialized. And what you see there or what I saw there is a lot of people doing fellowships to sort of differentiate themselves and trying to get a position. Um, but I think that was an illustration of the, the bottleneck and the effects of having that bottleneck at that place in the continuum. Well, in the Netherlands, the bottleneck is getting into residency training. So quite a lot of medical students uh, do a few studies or even an entire PhD before they try to get into specialty training. Mm. Uh, what is somewhat different is that most do it in a biomedical field that mm. uh, is aligned with the specialty that they try to get into. Um, so why did I do what I did? Uh, that again brings me back to probably this uh, um, 
feeling that I wanted to keep myself rather broadly oriented. And when I finished medical school and started the PhD, I uh, found obstetrics and gynecology very interesting uh, content-wise. Uh, also because, again, it's quite uh, a broad specialty. So we, we deal with pregnancies, but also with gynecological oncology, with uh, infertility issues. Um, we do a lot of our own diagnostics, but also a lot of therapeutic options. Uh, things like surgery are something that we do ourselves. Um, while that is often, if you go into surgery itself, you don't do the the radiological examinations that done by the radiologist while we do our own ultrasounds. Um, and if you go into internal medicine, uh, there's a lot of diagnostics that you are involved in, uh, but you won't go and do a, a surgery in the operating theater when you're in internal medicine, usually. So I thought, well, this is a profession where if I choose that, I can still go and differentiate myself in a number of different areas. Um, but I also had other options uh, back then, such as going into general practice, uh, which sounded like a, also a very interesting and, and challenging uh, profession. So I, I wasn't really decided yet when I started my PhD. Um, at the same time, it wasn't a total coincidence that one of my PhD supervisors was a gynecologist himself. So once I got a sense that uh, the PhD was going well, and that after that, you know, going into obstetrics and gynecology might indeed be something uh, for me. Um, yeah, I was quite close to the to the fire, uh, so to speak, and uh, I I could yeah you know, get some practical experience and also um, yeah you know, make sure that I could find myself a position to start residency training. Mm -hmm. So one of, one of the things that I have observed, like from looking from the outside, is that you have had achieved success, like it sounds like it and looks like it from my perspective in a very kind of progressive linear way. When people talk about Pima at the center, it's like, oh yeah, he's a very successful guy, young and still got it. So, but I know that there's some stories behind, like what have been one of the main challenges that you have faced in, in moving from medicine to PhD, to doing your residency training and now becoming a big researcher and a leader in the field as well? Um, I think my, my, my big uh, challenge, but also something that has uh, brought me a lot is the uh, ability to combine these different activities that I'm engaged in, in particular, the clinical work, uh, the research work, the variety of perspectives. Um, so there's a lot of uh, different balls in the air uh, at the same time, and it's been like that for, for many, many years now. Uh, I find that very rewarding, and that's where the curiosity comes in, having these different things going on all at once you know, sort of satisf satisfies my curiosity in a lot of ways. Uh, but it also means that I need to find connections between my clinical work and my research work and to make sure that they're not separate things, but that they actually uh, feed into each other, that they strengthen each other, and that the organizations in which I am embedded, now it's all Maastricht University, but before it was uh, Maastricht University and uh, 
the Free University at Amsterdam um, that I could explain to the people around me that having this combination and um, doing all of these activities together uh, led to yeah, additional value instead of just doing one and doing uh, one very well because I do need to compromise in trying to do it all. Um, and that also means a very personal challenge in trying to fit it all within uh, the hours that I have in a day and combining it with a personal life too. Uh, so I've I've never had a, a long period where I thought I've figured out how to find the balance between making it all work. Um, so that is a challenge in itself. But doing that is something that, that, yeah, that's probably part of who I am and that I will continue to do. And as also, I, I guess, um, yeah, led to people from the outside labeling some of what I do as a success. Oh, that, that's very good. And it looks like you embrace challenges very, very nicely. So around that idea of challenges and hurdles, maybe, what is one decision that you made that didn't turn out the way you had planned, but in hindsight was a good decision to make? Um, getting into obstetrics and gynecology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying it because... Uh, I, in hindsight, I didn't really realize what I chose oh. uh, when I went into the profession. And so uh, I also don't think that my particular journey is something to, to see as an example or to recommend to people, but life, yeah, you make decisions as you go through life and you look around you and you see what the opportunities are. What I did is I went through medical school, did a, a clerkship in obstetrics and gynecology, which gives you a very limited view of what it actually means, certainly what it actually means to make that yeah, your career for the rest of your life. Um, I then spent about three, three and a half years on the research full-time. So I was out of clinical work and got the opportunity to immediately afterwards start with my residency training and found out uh, immediately in the first couple of months that I hadn't really grasped what I chose to do. Um, so you learn and you adjust and it takes time to sort of understand um, what the new situation is that you are in. Um, and gradually you also start to uh, appreciate things that in the beginning seem daunting and impossible. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with the profession and the roots uh, and the combination that I chose. But I cannot say that I, I, I chose it knowing what I was getting myself into. So when you were going through that kind of thinking of, oh, I didn't realize this is what it was, uh, did you consider quitting or changing? Um, yeah, in the sense that we all, of course, have the wonderful uh, freedom that in our minds we can consider lots of different things. Um, so yes, and uh, even today I, I sometimes envision what if I would stop doing it all and start um, 
picking up a career as a carpenter or something completely else. Right. But, you know, entertaining thoughts like that on the one hand and actually uh, considering uh, stopping are, are different things. So I never actually considered to stop or to change. Um, and that's also because I, you know, I have learned uh, through lots of different experiences that a certain sense of persistence can be very helpful and that um, you need to give th things time in order to be able to appreciate them. Um, it takes time to get better at, at, at challenging things. And if you do, you will see them from a different perspective. Um, so even when it was, was more challenging, I, yeah, always also saw the, the, the fun and the, the opportunity to learn. And I think that's also one of the things the, that, uh, um, that run through the, the career that I've had so far that I try to look for things that challenge me that I can learn from, um, and that's also part of why I decided to move to Maastricht and to take on the role of uh, director of the School of Health Professions Education, because I knew it would, would challenge me to, to learn new things. Um, and that's what happened when I went into obstetrics and gynecology. But it's also what, I ha what happened when I started with my own PhD. Um, and you can find some of that, for instance, in the research that I'm involved in on transitions. Um, that yeah, I find those moments quite interesting and I can see also personally the different elements that go into choosing to transition into something new. Um, and yeah, from a research perspective, that, that is uh, quite, quite interesting too. And it's, I've been fortunate enough to, with different people, investigate elements of that. Mm -hmm. So in a hypothetical world, if you would have decided to do something differently, not medicine, what would have been? You talk about airplanes or yeah. some technology. So what will be the thing that you will become, have become if you were not in medicine? As a child, I always thought that I would become a, a pilot. Oh. Um, and I, I did... Um, see if that was something for me and i i just uh, love the idea as many children do of course but also gradually realize that it's much less uh, romantic or uh, adventurous uh, if you're an airline pilot than uh, one might think as a child um i think over the years what i always enjoy in my spare time is uh, uh diy do it yourself uh, uh -huh. things in and around the house but especially uh, woodworking and uh uh, sort of furniture building. So if I could hypothetically choose a completely different career, um, I would love to see if I could be a, a, a furniture maker, designer, oh, boat builder, something in, in that area. Yeah, oh, That's uh, very intriguing. Go ahead. Uh, again, I love what I do and it's a very social profession that I in, both the research and the in the clinical work um, and probably as a sort of a counterweight to that it's also something sometimes very nice to uh, work with wood um, it doesn't talk back 
if you mess <laughs> it up, you can start again with a new piece. Uh, and the only person that you can become frustrated with is yourself if it doesn't yeah. work out the way you want. Um, but again, I also must admit that if I would only do that one thing, I fear that I might uh, get bored after some time and would see if there are other things that I could do to continue to uh, to challenge myself. Yeah, that sounds like a great hobby to complement. That's, that's great. So it, it also sounds that um, you have had really good experiences throughout your career because of the idea that you embrace challenges. You welcome them as opposed to avoid them, which is a great mindset. What is uh, one unexpected but gratifying moment in your research career so far, if you have to pick one? Um, an unexpected but gratifying moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, the thing that comes to mind is not one moment, but is the, um, the different moments of actually being in a journey with a PhD student um, and having the opportunity to really build a relationship with somebody while working on science, on research, but getting to know that other person and seeing them uh, develop and grow and change and then that leads to a, a very nice end product in the form of a thesis uh, and being able to celebrate that together and really you know, feel that connection between um, you know, or with them and with the team that achieved that mm -hmm. um, I think that is very gratifying and now I know that that is a part that I really value of being uh, a part of PhD teams. But when I initially started after I finished my own PhD as a co-supervisor and later on as a supervisor, initially I, I didn't realize that that would be such an important um, aspect of why it is so fulfilling to engage in those teams. I, I initially thought it would mainly be focused on answering the questions, the research questions that you have together. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy that, uh, that, that, that joint activity um, with or around a PhD student. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like um, also in, the, in those interactions with the students, you have dealt in different topics. I know you, you have done work in workplace learning, which is your main area, transitions. What are you working on right now? And, or what's your next curiosity? Where are you heading towards? Um, yeah, for me, the, the, the larger umbrella term is still workplace learning, trying to understand how people learn from and through their work. And at the moment, there are a couple of different um, yeah, angles that I'm involved with. Um, one is the... Uh, 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 let me give a couple of concrete examples. I think that would be helpful, but with... Uh, Will Bynum as a PhD student and Lara Varpio, and we are looking at shame, which is a very uh, powerful way of uh, focusing on the importance of well-being and the structures, cultures, environments that we create in which we try to help people learn and develop. Um, I think that 
exemplifies a larger perspective and also a couple of other projects that I am involved in that, that look into the, you know, the way in which we create situations that allow people to actually enjoy challenges or to enjoy challenging themselves, uh, which is a very uh, vulnerable thing to do. And it is vital that we create environments where people feel that there is the freedom and the safety to, to engage in that. Because if we don't allow people to do that, then we don't create environments in which they can learn. And in the end, I, I truly believe that we need to continuously learn as individuals and as a collective in order to provide the best possible healthcare. Um, so that is a perspective where different uh, researchers that um, um, may not be naturally connected to each other or that people looking from the outside might not immediately see a connection. Uh, yeah, I would connect them from this perspective. Um, one other element is uh, the finding a balance uh, between the educational notions that we have based on on research sort of uh, best evidence um, uh, educational principles and the way in which we try to translate them to our actual practices um, and to make sure that there's a good connection between um, what we know is good from an educational standpoint and what we know um, are the strengths of a workplace that allow people to learn from the work that they do. Um, one example there is uh, uh, a PhD trajectory around the role of observation, um, where we always say, yes, observation is important from an educational standpoint because you need to directly observe somebody in order to give them uh, concrete feedback so that they can learn from that. Um, in practice, it's quite difficult to arrange that. And those working in practice feel and realize that uh, being in a room with a learner isn't just about observing in order to be able to give feedback. It's also, when do you suggest that you're going to directly observe somebody? When do you give them a bit more freedom? It's a very important element in the relationship between a learner and a supervisor. Um, it has important organizational aspects to it. Uh, so I, there's a PhD student uh, called uh, Chris Rietmeijer from Amsterdam, who has problematized the concept of observation to better understand the different elements, and also to better understand how we can sort of integrate our good educational intentions with the reality of everyday practice. Um, and that, for me, is another important trend of research. Um, and adding to that is a, a practical project that I'm heavily involved in at the moment, and that's the, the redesign of the National Curriculum for Obstetrics and Gynecology Training in the Netherlands. Um, so I'm, uh, I have been asked to uh, chair the revision of our curriculum nationally. And um, we are now well on our way, but it's already been two and a half, almost three years since we've started. And the entire uh, yeah, project 
at least the way in which I uh, uh, took it on, is about connecting what we've learned about what works in terms of assessment in practice and what works in terms of um, uh, competency-based education in practice. And what do we know more scientifically about competency-based education, about assessment, uh, again, also issues around well-being, personal development, uh, contributing to team effectiveness, and trying to find this balance, this middle ground of connecting those worlds of, of science and practice. And that's a huge challenge, and I, I look forward to working with our new plan in the future and seeing that as an opportunity for further studies as well. Um, yeah, but this is the very long answer on uh, what am I doing at the moment. And these are two in examples of uh, research that are part of larger um, yeah, themes that run through my work currently. Yeah, what I also see is that it is also speaks to who you are in your interest of tapping in different areas and being busy with different ideas. So I, I really enjoy listening to that because I look forward to, I read the Imperium Wellness paper. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to read more about that. So just to end the, this uh, conversation, there is one question that I also always like to ask at the end. You talked about wood carving and furniture design as one thing that you would like to do on the side. I was wondering if there is another thing that people might not know about you, but that has influenced who you are now. Um, yeah, probably that, that uh, I am uh, also very much um, a family man in the sense that with my uh, wife and our almost eight-year-old son, uh, yeah, I find it very uh, fulfilling and important to spend time with them and to enjoy life. And I think that's certainly not unique for me, but um, that is very important for me and also um, has a large influence on how I think about trying to get all of these different, to keep all of these different professional balls in the air. Um, so that uh, is something that. I shouldn't certainly not forget to add to this conversation on mm -hmm. uh, who I am and what drives me um, because they always come first. Yeah. And I remember uh, the first time I met you was at Amy and your wife just had the baby. So it's eight years already. Wow. It's been yeah. A while. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay, Pim, thank you so much for being with us today. It was great chatting with you, and I wish you all the best as you continue with your research. Uh, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to uh, talk to you and to be able to uh, engage in a conversation on these topics. It's, it's wonderful that you uh, get um, me in this instance and other people to uh, open up in this way. Yeah, thank you very much. And to all of you, thanks for your attention, and we'll see you in the next episode. This has been The Curiosity Habit. This podcast is hosted by Saira Cristancho and produced by Monica Molinero. You can find all our episodes on podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. 
Thanks for listening. 